Ah, oh, hello again, listeners. Welcome back to the Battle of Boggle. And where are we? Yes, that's right. Chapter 4. So let's not dilly-dally. Let's get on with it. Chapter 4. Number 4 Badger's Bottom. Alex lived at Number 4 Badger's Bottom with his Mama G, his Daddy-O and his little bro Joe. Alex had a pet dog that he called Ted the Slobber Pup and Joe had a talking parrot called Jolly Polly Jibber Jabber Monkey Brain, or Jabber for short. Some time ago, Joe had noticed if he mixed Jabber's bird food with a teaspoonful of Mama G's special sauce, then Jabber would shout out Premier League football scores before the matches had even taken place, and he'd be right a miraculous nine times out of ten. He also said the occasional rude word. Did you know, listeners, parrots are one of the few animals considered vocal learners, which means they can imitate sounds that they can hear. Well, the Abingtons had moved to Lesser Boggle the year before. Daddy-O had gone to school at St Cuthbert's when he was young and he was happy to have brought his family back to the magical place he had grown up. From the outside, it looked like any other normal English country village. Alex, however, was not so sure. He thought it was weird, but in a good way. He was convinced the animals looked at you in a funny way, particularly the ducks on Devil's Ditch, and no one ever questioned where the rhino had come from. If you ever asked anyone, they just shrugged their shoulders and said they'd forgotten. Even the plants seemed to sway unnaturally in the breeze, like they were dancing to a song that no one else could hear. Probably a funky Mexican tune. And then there were some of the strange goings-on. People were losing stuff all the time, which would turn up in the most unusual places. Like the time Vic the Priest lost his teapot after Sunday service and it was found down at Haunted Hollow, with half a packet of custard creams. There were more UFO sightings too. You know what a UFO is, don't you? It stands for an Unidentified Flying Octopus. Or at least that's what I think it stands for. A most unusual sight indeed. It's probably even rarer than aliens. As usual, the moment Alex, Joe and Mama G arrived home from school, Alex got bundled by Ted the Slobber Pup, wagging his tail and licking Alex's face like it was a delicious blob of strawberry ice cream topped with chicken nuggets. Now Ted is a nine-month-old Labradoodle. And no, that is not pronounced incorrectly. He is 50% Labrador, 40% Poodle and 10% Noodle, which I think you'll agree definitely deserves the extra ooh. Ted really loves Chinese food. Actually, he loves all food, including socks and cricket bats. He hates, and hate is a strong word we don't generally approve of, slugs and snails and puppy dog tails, which is unfortunate being a puppy and everything. Most dogs run around in circles chasing their tails. Ted tries to run away from his. There is something that Ted likes even more than eating, and that is chasing. He will chase anything that moves, but he particularly likes to chase squirrels and ducks, who give him the evil eye as they fly away, and if they could talk, would probably be saying something along the lines of, I'll get you, slobber pup, I'll get you bad. Ted also likes to chase cats, bats and rats, dogs, frogs and suspicious logs and bears, koala bears, grizzly bears, brown bears, polar bears and care bears. But he doesn't chase birds because Jabber told him not to. Dad! exclaimed Alex, rushing through the front door, bubbling of excitement. You'll never guess what! I'm captain for the dodge battle team against the Berties! We're so going to win this year, I'm totally going to pie-face those Bertie buttheads. Well done, my boy! That's great news. But remember, St Berties have the advantage of the big slope. They get to choose the inspector, and they haven't lost for 32 years, cautioned Daddy-O. Yes, we know, Dad. 32 years since you captained the last winning team, boshing Benny Bean with a rotten aubergine. Yawn, yawn, yawn. Oh, have I told you that before? Daddy-O questioned, knowing that he had. Exactly 137 times and counting, said Joe. 
It's going to be tough, but I believe you can do it, said Daddy-O. Remember, though, it's the doing your best and taking part that counts, not the winning. Go out there and have fun, and as long as you try your best, I will be proud of you. Whatever! It's totally all about winning. If I don't win, I'll probably have a meltdown and throw somebody or something into the river and you have to buy me an Xbox or a new bike to make me feel better. Well, said Daddy-O, ignoring the childish threats, I know who St Bertie's captain is too. George Dismal. And with this news, Alex's defiant, happy expression was wiped off his face in an instant, like an etch-a-sketch drawing disappearing for eternity. Daddy-O worked with Dwayne Dismal, who was dismal by name, dismal by nature. George and Gina were his pride and joy, the dismal twins, and they were the biggest and roughest bullies in all of Boggle. How could that be possible? They're in year six, said Alex hopefully. I'm afraid not. George and his sister have been kept down a year for being so stupid. Apparently they think five plus five is fifty-five. But they're big and they're strong. They won't think twice about playing dirty and gunking with something gross. They've got a horrid mean streak, that's for sure. I wouldn't want to be up against them, said Daddy-O, not realising the impact his words were having on a forlorn-looking Alex. How are we ever going to beat them, said Alex. Stealth and cunning, said Joe, with a look of naughtiness spreading across his face, and with a little dollop of mischief. Three, one, deliverable, said Jabber. Ted just panted, slobbed on the carpet, and went back to eating the socks he'd just secretly stolen out of the washing basket. Chapter 5 Little bro Joe. A bigger child means a bigger target, said Joe, and probably slower too. We know about George and Gina, but what about the rest of the team? Dad, you're going undercover. Get that Dwayne Dismal, the dimhead, to spill the beans on Monday. We need to know what we're up against, said Joe. Yes, boss, said Daddy-O, saluting his youngest son like an army soldier. What you need is a game plan, said Joe, turning to Alex. What's the theme this year? Dunno yet, said Alex. We're finding out on Tuesday. Hope it's something sweet. Now, the dodge battle wasn't played with balls, it was played with food, and each year it would be different. Last year's lot got lucky with home-baked. There were cream pies, custard tarts, chocolate eclairs and doughnuts with every filling under the sun, though not all yummy scrummy in my tummy. Poor Mickey Bubbles caught one that flew into the crowd, but when he bit into it there was a slug inside, or at least what was left of half a slug. Yeah. Recent years had also seen themes such as all things tomato, sweet and sour, and fruit frenzy to name but a few. Can you think of any good food fight themes? The messier the better. Now Joe is six years old and he is clever, and I mean seriously clever. If there was a cleverness competition between Joe and Mr Clever from the Mr Men books, or with Matilda from the books by that old famous author who wrote about Charlie and the great glass chocolate peach and that big friendly draught then, well if there was a cleverness competition between all three of them then Joe would definitely come last by quite a long way. He's not that clever, but he's still exceptionally clever and is probably going to end up being a world famous scientist or something else amazing. He'll probably be the first person to live on Mars or grow gold from trees or he might even be an accountant like his dad. Despite all that cleverness, Joe has a very bad temper that can get him into trouble and sometimes he struggles to keep things in perspective. For example, he hates losing. Do not ever, ever play him at snakes and ladders. Once he landed on a snake, and not just any snake, the big one, just before the end, that takes you right back to near the beginning. To say he was not happy was an understatement. He launched one of Daddy-O's golf clubs through, and I mean all the way through and out the other side, of the television, which is quite an impressive feat of strength if you think about it. 
Another time, he lost at Star Wars Top Trumps and was so angry, he put all the cards through the meat grinder, turned them into sausages and ate them with chips and peas for his tea, muttering to himself about how he had shown the dark side who was boss. And then there is the story of why he sometimes calls Alex Poo-Face. But that, my friends, is a story for another day. The strangest thing about Joe, however, is that he spends most of his free time in the garden shed, building stuff and playing backgammon with his imaginary friend, Mad Pete the Two-Inch Pirate. Mad Pete has been on the scene since Joe arrived in Lesser Boggle. Mama G thinks it's sweet and Daddy-O thinks he's going through a phase. Mad Pete apparently lives in the playhouse at the bottom of the garden and we're not debating the potential pitfalls of time travel and playing board games with Joe. He keeps watch with his miniature cannon firing frozen peas at any pigeons that dare land on the lawn, shouting "Ar!" in his best pirate voice. Well, that's what Joe says anyway. What are you up to today, Mama G would ask Joe? Playing in the shed with little Pete? His name is Mad Pete and it's not playing, mother. We are working on secret stuff more clever and complicated than you can possibly imagine that will change humanity forever. We might also play a spot of backgammon. That's nice, dear, said Mama G. Just be back up for lunch. Will do. Oh, Mum, I, I think we're nearly out of peas. Can you get some more? You know how much I love them. And with that, Joe walked out of the patio door and trudged to the bottom of the garden into the shed. There is a fine line between genius and do-lally crazy bombliness. And if that's not a real word, it definitely should be. And Joe was firmly and squarely on that line, balancing like a drunken tightrope walker, holding a big stick and swaying from side to side. OK, so Joe was clever. I've already told you that but Alex knew his brother well enough to know when to listen, and this was one of those times. You need a game plan, you need to pick the best team to win, and you need to learn the rules, instructed Joe. Rules are there to be broken, said Alex defiantly. No, shouted Joe. Rules control the fun. Break the rules and ruin the spirit of competition. But, he continued, know the rules and know how far to bend them. Chapter 6. Dodge Battle Rules Dodge battle rules are simple, said Daddy-O. It's five a side and no substitutes are allowed. There must be at least one player from years three, four and five. Year sixes don't play. They're in charge of organisation and splodges. The match is played over three ten-minute periods. Each team has their wooden battle barrel where you can store your foodie-based weapons. The barrel also provides good shelter to high pines. Don't forget that. The official inspection takes place one hour before the battle and the inspector may leave things on the pitch. These may help a team or they may not. Anything on the pitch when the whistle goes is fair game. If you get hit three times anywhere other than the hands and forearms, you're out. But the strike has to be seen, so it leaves a mark that helps. Think about the food you'll be using. You'll want it to show up. Year six kids enforce the rules. If they see you've been hit, they put a splodge of paint on your back. If you step out of the field of play, that's another splodge. Three splodges and that player has to leave the game. The game ends when all five players from one team are out. The last period can continue into extra time until there is a winner. Whoever is the last boy or girl standing will be a hero to all and will forever be remembered. In summary, therefore, it's basically just a gigantic food fight and the messier the food, the better. Traditionally, most teams go with the 2-1-2 formation. Up front, there are two blockers. Their job is to use their hands to catch and block the missiles from the opposing team without getting hit. But if needs be, they take one for the team. Their job is to protect their teammates and to stay in the game as long as possible. Behind the blockers are the two chuckers. These are the best throwers in the team and their job is to hit the opposition. They need a constant supply of ammo and protection from assault. That's where the float comes in. The float is the glue that binds the team together. 
like a half-sucked boiled sweet that has fallen down the back of the sofa and stuck to the wooden floor is now covered in dog hair. The float needs to be fast and nimble, so they have free reign to move anywhere around the field of play. They mostly help to restock supplies wherever they are needed and to gather anything that may be useful, but they need to be flexible and replace a blocker or a chucker if needed. You do not want to lose your float early, otherwise you're in trouble. Game over. The end. Finito. It's curtains and not good ones. Bad, mucky, stinky curtains. Chapter 7. Picking Teams. This is Alicat. Are you there, Jay Meister? Repeat, this is Alicat. Are you there? Silence. Alex walked out into the garden, stood on a wooden bench and shouted, Oi, Jenny, turn on your walkie-talkie. A few seconds later, the familiar sound of crackling came over the walkie-talkie and then a voice. All right, all right, keep your wig on. I was just on the loo. What do you want anyway? Treehouse, two minutes, said Alex. Jenny Henry, a.k.a. Super Jen, Jenny Wren, Jenny from the block or the J-Meister, was Alex's best friend. Jenny's parents were always away with work doing top-secret stuff that no one really understood. Alex thought they were probably spies taking out baddies and saving the world, so Jenny often stayed next door at number six Badger's Bottom with her grandma, Granny Duck. Granny Duck, real name Henrietta Swan, was mad about ducks. She just loved them. She was the loyal and self-declared sworn protector of all the ducks in the boggles. I just adore those ducks, you would hear her mutter to herself as she went about her business and low betide anyone who tried to put them in harm's way. She was absolutely quackers about those ducks. Granny Duck didn't feed them bread. She cooked gigantic meals for them, including their favourite, green veggie kebabs and seed surprise. Granny Duck's house was like a shrine to the beaked beauties, There were pictures of ducks, statues of ducks, a duck-shaped egg cup and even a wooden duck toilet roll holder. You let a duck when you went through her unnaturally small front door. Granny Duck lived next to her best friend, Granny Goose. Granny Goose was called Granny Goose because, well, that was the name, of course, Harriet Goose. It was an unfortunate name, as luck would have it, as she hated geese and didn't much like ducks either. They look at me funny, she would say, always looking sneaky and giving me the evil eye, especially those mallards down by the devil's ditch. The devil's ducks, I call them. Despite their differences, Granny Duck and Granny Goose got on like a house on fire, bonding over their mutual love of Scrabble, Giant Jenga and wickedly strong cider. Alex's tree house wasn't really a house at all, and it wasn't up a tree either. It was through the fence at the bottom of the garden of Number 4 Badger's Bottom, and was a few planks of wood nailed to a couple of fallen tree chunks. Jenny had made it a homely den with some cushions on some old car tyres as seats and a picnic blanket for a table. Jenny clambered over the wooden fence at the bottom of Granny Duck's garden and pushed her way through the branches into the treehouse. The sun had started its slow descent and the afternoon was getting cooler. What do you want, A-bomb? she said. Haven't you heard, said Alex. I'm captain of the dodge battle team. Yeah, that's so cool, dude. But you're so going to get splattered by the green machine, Jenny chuckled. You mean we're going to get splattered, so Alex. You're on the team too. I need another chucker next to me I can trust. I need someone who'll have my back. Holy moly, are you serious? Two year, three kids in the team? That's never happened before. I'm really not sure that's the best idea, said Jenny with a raised eyebrow. Age is just a number. I want the best players and that includes you, Alex said without a moment of doubt. Okay, said Jenny hesitantly. But we need a game plan. There's no way I'm going out there to get humiliated in front of the whole village. If I'm in, I'm in to win. Who else have you got? Jenny asked. No one yet. You're the first. I was thinking about Big Ed, the real name Edward Head, from year five as blocker. 
I play cricket with him for Bogover under-11s. He's our wicketkeeper and has a safe pair of hands. He's not fast, though, Jenny said. And you can't have two slow blockers. What about the float? she asked. I'm hitting my head against a brick wall. I've no idea. It's the most important position on the pitch. Izzy whiz, said Jenny. She's the fastest in year four and small too. She'll be difficult to hit. Isabella Westlake, a.k.a. Izzy Wiz, was small, rapid and determined. She had short brown hair, big brown eyes and a killer smile. She was hugely popular and would be a good team player. She would be an asset. Her sister was float two years ago when we lost by one splodge. It's in her blood, Jenny said. You might be right, said Alex. And I hear she's good at netball, which might be useful. We're a blocker short, Jenny said. And I'm out of ideas, sighed Alex. And that, dear readers, is the end of another chapter. But before I leave you once more... A fact occurred to me whilst reading about Granny Duck. She does know her stuff, you know. You see, what do ducks like to eat? Most people think bread, but they would be wrong. Mallards in particular, they like to eat a mix of plants and seeds as well as insects, worms and snails. If you want to feed them, don't give them bread. Try peas or seeds or oats instead. It's much better for them. And with that, it's time to bid you adieu and say goodbye once again. I do hope you'll be back. We have plenty more to get on with and things are only going to get more exciting. Until next time, see you later alligators.